when you think about those content truths, short headlines, short videos, above the fold, it's all about the wrong things. It's all focused on speed and, and length, and it shouldn't be focused on all that at all. It should be focused on, is it unique, and is it emotional? In other words, is it creative? Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a place where creative leaders can find insights and practical guidance on the day-to-day job of being a creative leader. We focus on real issues, topics, and insights of creativity in the business world. Join me as we explore the best strategies for developing your team, getting others to embrace your vision, and generating amazing experiences. This webinar series is produced by The Stoke Group. I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Adobe Executive Creative Director and author of Sorry Spock Emotion Drive Business. And this is Real Creative Leadership. Today we're going to talk about the myths of content creation. So the first thing I want to talk about is that, you know, there are a lot of rules out there about making good content. And it's, they're almost like these rules that everyone talks about, but we really don't know, you know, anything, the science behind them or why they're there. So some of these rules are things such as all content has to be created, you know, the best content has to be above the fold. Like people are always pushing in website design, put everything above the fold. It's got to be above the fold. People don't scroll. Um, another myth is headlines. We can never have a long headline. They've always got to be short and punchy. Um, I'm not sure about you, but in my experience of content creation, we always get feedback that it's like, this headline is way too long. Make sure, make sure it's shorter and punchier and just faster, right? Another myth is uh, that video creation. So sometimes we say, oh, no one's going to watch a six-minute video or a four-minute video. That video has to be two minutes long or else you're going to lose the audience. And really when we're thinking about it, all of these myths or all of these truths in content creation are all about attention span, right? So people believe, oh, we've got the attention span of a goldfish, therefore we have to hurry up. We've got to make it shorter, faster, quicker. Um, it's kind of this, this mentality that if you're in your, um, your feed, if it's not super, super fast, then we're going to lose people and therefore the content will be worthless. So it even culminated in last year, or well, yeah, last year in March 2019, there was a study called from the um, Mobile Marketing Association. It was all about the one second strategy. And here's what they came up with. Um, they had done all these testing, these tests uh, with content, and they came to the fact that, you know, people in a mobile feed will look at an ad and within, what was it, it was like 40, 40 nanoseconds, they're going to make a judgment call on whether they like the content or don't like the content. And so from there, their, their uh, response is that because if we want to get attention, we want to get, you know, people's minds and focusing on your, on your ads, then we have to create a faster strategy. So while we used to have 15 or 30 second TV spots, now they're really saying you need to not focus on you know that that attention span of 10 seconds or eight seconds but you really have one second to get everyone's attention one second so the focus is all about creating content that really gets at people people's attention in that one second now, i don't know about you but it's hard enough if you've ever created a 15 second tv spot or a 30 second tv spot i can't imagine if we ever go to like a one or a five second or a two second tv spot Vines are like six and I can see, you know, we've gotten some in there and that's just, you know, helping with that. But it was all about this idea of going down to the one second strategy. Now, now that we've gotten all those truths out, all of those content uh, truths, 
I really want to talk about, like, I want to raise my hand and say, whoa, 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 I want to challenge all of this. Not just the one second strategy thing, because they actually got some of the data right. But I just believe that for all of these truths, we're focused on the wrong thing when we're creating content. They're all focused on speed, length, and time. And I really want to talk about what are the things that we should focus on if we really want to get earn people's attention and hold their attention. So, you know, some of the truths in, in that uh, study um, for the one second strategy, you know, they got some things right. The brain does work remarkably fast. And in fact, when I was working on my book, you know, these last uh, six years as I was uh, doing all the research on my book, I found a lot of great interesting insights in neuroscience um, as I interviewed neuroscientists or read studies on it. And so what I want to do right now is I want to, you know, as part of my book, I wanted to find answers like this, like why are these truths, why are these myths about content creation out there and how do we get a real answer? So what I'm going to do is today I'm going to talk about how we make decisions. I'm going to try and find an answer for us as to why we shouldn't focus on those things and focus on something else, but I don't want it to be subjective. So oftentimes whenever we're talking about marketing or advertising, the go-to response is let's find some case studies, right? Let's see who else has done it in the market and if they've had success, therefore that's truth. But I want to take away the subjectivity because you could take those same case studies and prove something completely different. So what I want to do is I want to talk about um, some hard science. So first of all, when I, you know, I'm going to start out with a quote here, but um, I really want to talk about a little neuroscience and what really happens in the brain when we're making decisions and then relate it back to all of these content myths. So here's a quote um, from Dr. Steve, Scott Stephenson, who I interviewed, and he said, when our brain is doing its job at predicting our surroundings, our subconscious is in control. Only when there is an error or something doesn't match our predicted reality does the conscious brain kick in. Only then do we become aware and notice the element that's different. So why am I bringing this up? Well, let's start with some of the, you know, the scientific truths. The human brain is a, a massive organ and it takes a lot of energy, a lot of energy. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to getting attention, it really is asking the brain a lot to focus on something that it's not, it's not planning on focusing on. And so it uses up a lot of energy doing that. And so it's all about, you know, predicting things. If you've ever been on autopilot, you know, the brain is designed to focus on things that are out of normal. So what we call anomalies. And that's when our conscious brain is notified. Otherwise, you know, our subconscious is doing a lot of great stuff. But when our conscious brain is notified is when something is different. Something is different than the predicted reality, just like uh, Dr. Stephenson said. It's, you know, it's something that we're not, we're not focused on. We didn't know it was happening until it was there. And you know, in marketing, a lot of times we talk about, oh, we've got a million ads and you have to break through all the ads and, and, and it takes you know, something unique and something different to, to stand out. And the reality is if you're really talking about the brain, it's because Let's talk about it in terms of uh, like a computer. The brain, if it's like a computer and all of your peripherals are like the, like the mouse and the, you know, the input devices, those are our senses. So think about all the data that's coming into our brains, all into our computers constantly. All of the, everything from vision and sight and sound and smell and touch. I mean, if you really think about all of those senses, that is you know, tons and tons and tons of data that's constantly flooding our brain. And most of it is ignored. Most of it, we don't pay attention to it because we're, it's just going underneath the radar. And you can't attend to everything. 
And if you don't attend to it, it's gone. So that's really like attention span isn't this thing where it's like, oh, I only have a limited supply of like five to eight seconds. And if I use that up, then after eight seconds, it's gone. No, that's not it at all. The way attention works is your brain has to focus on it and attend to it. And if it attends to it, then there's a greater chance of it being retained. So in other words, if there's an anomaly, if there's something different, your brain is going to perk up and notice that thing that's different. Let me just give you an example in vision. So in vision, if you think of your vision as just a big screen with all of these pixels, the reality is our eyes cannot take in every single pixel of information and constantly you know, bring that into the brain. Like just think about it, like your brain would fill up so fast because that's so much information of all those millions of pixels constantly flowing in. But what we know in science is there are actually more dendrites flowing from emotion, which is our limbic area, to rationality, which is our frontal lobes. In other words, it's not a whole bunch of information out here going in and then storing in our brain. We're actually predicting. So, you know, even in, in vision, it's like there's just a couple cones of, of information that we're bringing in, and then the rest of it's being predicted. If you've ever done that test where you just stare at a blank wall after a while, like your eyes just shut off because there's no new information. It's just blank and, and nothing's changing, and so it just shuts off. So in other words, we're only going to see the things that are different. If it's, if it's not different, we're just going to predict it away. Just like if you're on autopilot, autopilot driving home, you're just going to, sometimes you just show up home and you're like, how in the Hades did I get here? It's because your brain is just predicting all of that stuff. Nothing's different. Only when there's something stands out, like you see a car accident, is your brain suddenly going to go, oh, something's going on here. And then suddenly you're, you're focused and, you, and you're conscious of it. So that's number one. Like, we're, our brain is predicting all the time because we're not bringing in all that information. Meaning the only way to avoid the prediction model is to create an anomaly, something different. So we have to find something unique. It's called anomaly detection. All right, the next important thing is, now once we have that new thing, how does our brain make, make a decision beyond just the predictions? So the first thing that does, the brain does, okay, let's say there's a new experience. Or let's start with an old experience, an old experience. So there's a big flame of fire. Your brain looks at that and says, okay, I, first thing it does is it takes that experience and does a cross reference with everything else in it that it's already experienced. So it'll say, okay, fire. I've experienced that a dozen times. I know if I put my hand in it, it's going to hurt. It's going to burn it, right? So it does that, that uh, kind of goes back to the catalog and make sure that you've, if you've already had that experience, it's going to give you um, uh, an emotion. So the way the brain communicates to us is through neurochemicals. Um, so think about things like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin. And really all those things are, they're short little bursts of, neuro, of uh, neurochemicals in our brain. But what they create is, is are all those feelings of emotion, the feelings of pride, of love, of hate. All of those things are created through those neurochemicals. And so when we encounter that new situation, the fire, and the brain does a cross analysis, the way that it's going to communicate back to us that past memory is a, a quick hit of, of uh, neurochemicals. So if we suddenly see it, it's like, oh, nope, okay, it'll flood a quick little thing and say, don't touch that fire because it's going to burn your hand, right? And the way we know that without getting too crazy into it is like, you know, things like spindle neurons that are winding around, you know, inside our brain and it could instantly flood our brain with uh, just a little bit of, of dopamine or serotonin. So that's important to know. So if we find a match, we do cross analysis. Now, what happens if we don't find a match? Let's say I come across a new situation where there's green and purple fire. I've never seen green fire, right? I don't know, maybe you, many of you have, you're into magic and stuff, I don't know. But uh, if we see this new experience, so it's an anomaly, 
and the brain doesn't find a match, then a new set of criteria happens. That's when we could become conscious and aware and everything slows down. And what happens is the first thing it does is it goes to the, to the prefrontal cortex or your, the CEO of your brain or your logic and says, all right, slow down, hold on here. This is a new situation. We need to make a decision, right? And once the conscious brain figures that out and makes that new decision, then we send an executive order from the, the little CEO and send it back to the rest of your brain and says, all right, I, I don't think we should put our hand in there or maybe I put my hand in there and it's like gives me magical abilities. Whatever that thing is, that experience, that decision, once it's made, then is sent back to the, to the rest of your um, kind of like your hard drive. And the way that it locks in a memory, so the way we burn in a memory after the decision is made is with anomaly detection and neurochemicals, which are emotions. So those two are really, really important things. So anomaly, meaning we notice the new thing and then we lock that in with a memory trace through emotions. So let me talk a little bit about a memory trace. So a memory trace, if you think about like, again, we're talking about data. It's almost like when we're burning on a hard drive, it's ones and zeros, right? If you, if you look inside the brain, there are what, 86 billion neurons in there. And each of those neurons have a little synapses on the end. And the way they communicate between each of those neurons is just a little burst of neurochemicals between neurons, right? And it makes a pattern. And so creating that pattern, obviously with like millions and millions of neurons in there, we can make millions and millions of different patterns. But by firing those neurons in a pattern, that is what we call a memory trace, right? And so it's, it's built when those things fire in a row. And so really it's like our brains are just full of ones and zeros until we lock it in with those emotions those neurochemicals. Those neurochemicals are those little bursts between those, uh, those synapses that are making that pattern, right? And so, just like on a hard drive, that's how we lock down a memory. We see an anomaly, and then we use emotion. Emotion has to be present. Again, neurochemicals. Emotion has to be present, and when that emotion is there, then it will lock in that memory trace. So it's biology. Like, that's exactly how we lock in a memory. Emotions, neurochemicals, and anomalies. That's it. Now, what about retrieving memory? So uh, it's the same thing. Like once that trace is already locked in our brain, in order to retrieve that back, we have to have emotion present. So uh, think about, you know, really traumatic experiences or something, you know, a big moment in your life. And you'll recall that memory and you'll feel those same feelings because the way it's communicated back to us, back to our conscious brain is through those same neurochemicals, right? Through those same emotions. So... For example, and here's an important truth with that. The more emotion that's present when you're making a memory trace or retrieving a memory trace, the more powerful the memory. Um, you know, sometimes in media we talk about, you know, how many exposures does it take of an ad before people get it? And it's like three with a repeating, you know, every, every so often you have to keep reminding them about it. But with our brains... It doesn't, it's not like we need five, six, seven exposures to remember something. Sometimes it can be one exposure. I often talk about, you know, like big traumatic moments. Like someone could have PTSD from a traumatic experience or they could, everyone remembers 9-11. Like the moment 9-11 happened, it's a, it happened one time. But I guarantee most of us can re recall exactly where we were, who we were talking to, what we were doing that day, everything we felt, even because it was a, it was an intense emotional moment. So that's, that's the important part. When you create or retain and bring back memories, the more emotion that's present, the stronger the memory. Okay. So I want to bring all that neuroscience now back to why this has to anything to do with, um, with marketing. So 
the key takeaway is to increase your chances of your audience seeing your content, paying attention, and, and making a memory about it, they need two important ingredients. They need an anomaly and they need emotion. Those two things. So you have to have something unique and different, and then you have to have a lot of emotion present. And together, those two things are what is going to create a great memory. So when they're bombarded with millions and millions of messages and data from everything from their senses to ads to conversations to everything else in marketing that we're trying to throw at them, the only way they're going to engage, the only way they're going to connect, or what we sometimes could call attention span, is if we have those two things, anomaly and emotion. Okay, so when you're creating content, the question you need to ask is, is it unique and is it emotional, right? So therefore, you know, advertising or marketing that's very dry, that's boring, that just goes underneath the radar and they don't even notice it, that has no emotion present, they're not going to pay attention. It's done, right? Okay, so bringing it back to all those other truths, a lot of those truths that we talked about earlier, if you really think about it, focus on three things. They focus on time, length, or speed. In all these truths about content marketing or making content, people are always too hyper-focused on saying, it's got to be faster. It's got to be shorter. It's got to be this length or a little bit of time, or or it's got to be done in small little snackable chunks, right? And then now that we're down to this point of like, and it has to be all in one second. But if you stop and think about how the brain works, It's not about attention span that's being used up. It's about gaining attention and holding attention. And the way you do that is through an anomaly and emotion. That's it. So when you think about those content truths, short headlines, short videos, above the fold, it's all about the wrong things. It's all focused on speed and and length. And it shouldn't be focused on all that at all. It should be focused on, is it unique? And does it emotional? In other words, is it creative? Um, you know, as creative people, we're always trying to add emotion into our experiences and emotion has to be present. I mean, that's why it's, you know, that's how the brain makes memories. So you need to have creative emotional stickiness there as well as a unique idea, right? So, you know, all this more than me, content is about the value we give our audience. So if you want to get more from our efforts, if you, you have to focus on the right things, We shouldn't just focus on the process of content. And when I say the process of content, that means length, speed, time, all of those things. We gotta stop focusing on that, stop focusing on on those elements, and start focusing on value. And what what do I mean by value? The value of content is if it's holding that attention, meaning it's hitting on a unique idea that they care about, and then it's emotionally present, which means it has some creative heft to it. It's wrapped up in this emotional blanket. So that's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on how do I find the right information? You could use you know, all the data sources you want in the world. You could use your analytics. You could use you know, in-person interviews. Whatever you need to do, find out the things they care about and then make sure you give them something unique, some, an anomaly around that topic. And then once you have that anomaly, then go and create an experience that is emotional, whether it has nostalgia behind it, whether it's funny, whether it has something, but you have to elicit an emotion. So stick those two things together, anomaly and emotion, which is, you know, finding something they care about and then making it creative. Put those things together and people will give you all the attention you want. That's how content sticks. It's not about fast. It's not about quick. It's about value. It's about anomaly and emotion.
That's it. So the answer to our content needs is to make sure it has substance first and foremost. It needs to be creative and unique, anomaly and emotion. Only then will our audience give the necessary amount of time, the necessary amount of attention, the length, the speed. Like That's the aftermath. They will give those things if you hit the first uh, most important value things first. So there we have it. All right. So that's the big, the big point I wanted to get across here in this session. Let's focus on the right things. When you hear truths, if it starts to sound like it's all about, you know, speed, length, time, all those kinds of things, think that's the process that should happen after. If I'm focused on attention, I need to worry about creativity, value, the topics they care about, things that they can feel, things they can feel. That's really, really important. So that's how we're going to build better content. Well, I want to thank you for listening to this session on the myths of content creation. And thanks for tuning in. Again, if this is your first time, we'd love it if you would subscribe uh, on whatever podcast platform you're, you're listening from. If not, you can always go to realcreativeleadership.com and you can sign up and watch these videos uh, live when, when we'll send you an email when the, the next one comes out. Uh, you can find The Stoke Group at thestokegroup.com. Again, this is produced by The Stoke Group. Super grateful for them. We wouldn't have it if it wasn't for them. So if you need help with any of these things as a creative leader, they're, they're the agency that can help you. And if you want to connect with me, you can go to adamwmorgan.com. You can see where I'm speaking next, uh, information about my book or articles that I'm writing. But as always, the best place is realcreativeleadership.com. But thanks again for listening and uh, hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan, and this series was brought to you by The Stoke Group. For the most effective marketing, use both sides of your brain to align your strategy, creative execution, and analysis. Connect with The Stoke Group for help designing each step of your marketing plan and creating a coherent vision. Visit thestokegroup.com to learn more.